Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Partly Political Broadcast listeners. Here is, as promised, the bonus Steve Crawshaw episode uh, that I said I'd be bringing out this week. Um, I hope you're doing all right since the last time I spoke at you. I don't know when you listened to uh, the last one. I mean, you may not have listened to it yet. That would be weird. Um, In which case, I hope you're not yet all right. No, hang on. I still hope you're right. I just won't have known about it. Who knows? Who cares? Anyway, uh, this is just uh, a little bit of bonus interview uh, with Steve Crawshaw, who I interviewed in episode 113, so I guess that makes this 113B? No, 113A. 113 who knows? Who at 113.5. Anyway, who cares? Um, with uh, it's a bit of extra interview with Steve Crusher, who I interviewed in whatever that episode was. Um, there's going to be no chat. I'm saving all the Labour conference chat for next week, even though I have just pretty much literally finished watching Jeremy Corbyn's speech to the conference. And I have to say, uh, I didn't enjoy the bits with all the kind of extreme wailing and crying, and then the bit when the blueberry wafer was absolutely smashed all the way across the living room. I mean, that wasn't Corbyn, obviously, that was my daughter. She makes it very, very hard to watch any sort of political conference. Thank God for internet write-ups. Um, but no, all that, that'll be on next week, so you want to bloody tune into that. But for now, uh, last week, or last, not last week, last episode, what day of the week is it? Who am I? Where am I? Oh, I drank way too much furry coffee. Um, on the last episode, I spoke to Steve all about effective protest, but as well as writing about that, he is the Director of Advocacy and Policy for Freedom from Torture. What do they do well he's about to tell you although you can probably gather i mean from the name it's about freedom from torture because no one wants torture i mean apart from you idiots who are listening to two of my podcasts in one week what's wrong with you suckers and um, but anyway um here is some good amount bonus steve chat i hope you enjoy this he's an absolutely fascinating man as i said before and freedom from torture is an absolutely fantastic fantastic campaign group so um here is bonus steve enjoy so, uh, on, as well as writing books uh, about global protests and their effectiveness, you um, also are Policy and Advocacy Director for uh, Freedom From Torture. Can you tell me um, a bit about what Freedom From Torture do, um, obviously a bit's in the name, and um, what your aims are? 
Yeah. Um, well, since I worked there, you won't be surprised to hear me say they do amazing stuff. Um, but I can say that also in the sense probably I, I arrived so recently. Um, I, I joined early this year. I'd worked in previous years for uh, Human Rights Watch and then for Amnesty International. Um, and I knew the organization from afar, but I didn't know it from inside. And I have to say it was uh, – truly inspiring to, to, to have got to know the work um, better of what we do. So Freedom from Torture, as you say, it, it's kind of all in the, in the name in many ways. It used to be called the Medical Foundation for Care of Victims from Torture, which was a bit of a mouthful, but was also, a, a, you know, in many respects, an, an accurate description of the core of the organization's work, which is helping to rebuild people's lives who have gone through you know, the unthinkable of being tortured, which of course is not just horrific in the moment, but has knock-on effects you know, for, for years to come. Um, torture is they seek to silence people, to, to break people, and what Freedom from Torture is doing is rebuilding those lives. So we have a large number of doctors, of therapists, of people working on the legal and welfare stuff of helping people to rebuild their lives. That's a large chunk of, of, of the organization's work. My work as policy and advocacy director is, if you like, the other plank of that is the uh, what we sometimes call the influencing work, the how do we make change, and that's on, on two levels. On the one hand, it's being part of the global anti-torture movement, saying enough is enough, this cannot happen, this is why. I mean, the laws are obviously in place already, so that's not the question, but people can continue to do these terrible things, and we now have a U.S. president himself who says torture absolutely works, which, well, you can only put your head in your hands, really, at the depressing implications of that, not just for the U.S., but globally, that kind of green light. So on the one hand, you have confronting the torture that's happening, trying to stop it happening, and then also trying to get the U.K. government uh, to be more humane, simply, in its approach to torture survivors, giving them what they need, and above all, not putting them on planes back to places where they are likely to be tortured. So part of it is just doing lobbying work with, with you know, high-level lobbying work in, in Parliament and, and elsewhere on that, but also documenting in unbelievable forensic detail. I mean, I felt pretty proud of what colleagues put together Amnesty or Human Rights Watch, where you checked and you double-checked and you quadruple-checked, um, way more checks than I, you know, than my own work as a journalist was ever subjected to, even though, you know, we reckon to have quite high standards at the paper where I was working on that. But human rights organization will have high standards, but freedom from torture is basically dealing with forensic, what's called the medico-legal reports, which is what it sounds like, of putting together both the, the medical and the legal implications of, um, of of what a person has gone through, and we use that to say, okay, so this is how serious the problem is in this place or that. So Sri Lanka, for example, we have significant impact in stopping people being put back on planes to Sri Lanka where it was clear that they were likely to be tortured if they were, and the government, British government was in denial about that, and we made enough noise that that stopped happening. We've got some upcoming work, some more upcoming work actually on Sri Lanka, but also on the Democratic Republic of Congo, for example, where, um, again, the same thing, I mean, truly horrific 
are testimonies, which are more than just testimonies. They're kind of forensically checked. And again, what's really heartening is to see that we do genuinely have impact there. The Home Office, I'm glad to say, did actually want to listen to us on what was happening there. And so their guidance to the, the tribunals who will be looking at who can be sent back or who can't factors in the work of freedom to torch and making decisions. So we go back to the beginning. At a long story short, it's helping individuals to rebuild. You know, hundreds and thousands come through our doors, and we do whatever we can to to help that. And crucially, which I think is pretty much unique, although it's now kind of set a pattern elsewhere, working with torture survivors are part of our um, the survivor-led activism. So the survivor voices are themselves driving a lot of the work that we do. What do survivors think most needs to happen? And in this recent report that we're working on, sorry, not yet out report, but the report we're working on now on Congo, survivors' voices will be a, you know, a crucial part of that as well, of this is what we really think ought to be happening. So helping people rebuild, making the change, and working with survivors for the changes that we're making. And is it, I mean, do you find that uh, we, we just had this report about the, the UK involvement in torture and rendition after 9-11 and about how it was a lot more than previously thought. Um, do you feel that there's a sort of attitude, because I, I sometimes think quite naively, oh, well, we don't we do not do that here or we're not involved in it yeah. here. And I think it's, there was a, a point in the early 2000s, and obviously with, with 9-11 and Iraq, that, that we were hearing about it more, it was being glorified on television with shows like 24 and things. But sort of yeah. it, in my mind it felt like oh we've moved past that now in the western world but then of course we've had trump saying that torture absolutely works just last year and we've now had this report that the uk were, were quite heavily involved in it is it is it still very prevalent in 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 sort of our society well i think the turning a blind eye is prevalent and you're quite right but we have this you know, it's this, this weird self-deception that I guess we've all practiced in the past about, oh, my country wouldn't do that. And there was a brilliant book published uh, some years ago by um, a journalist called Ian Cobain, a Guardian journalist Ian Cobain, called Cruel Britannia, which documented the history going back, you know, colonial Britain and Kenya and, and other places. And like, wow, this is what we did, and this is how we covered it up. It wasn't just the practice of it, but the very deliberate cover-up on incredible practices of torture. In France, in Algeria, there was a, a story recently which is really heartening to see was um, that there was finally, President Macron has kind of apologized slightly for the horrific torture that was committed out by, committed by French forces in Algeria. Um, and actually one of the stories in my book, In Street Spirit, is about a French uh, general from then who dared to speak out against torture and himself kind of got punished at the time. Now I'm glad to say that streets are being named after him. So, you know, many decades later, people are recognized. But going back to what you're saying, it, it is interesting. So we knew of uh, that, that kind of curve has gone in, in both directions. So you know, we had the UN Convention Against Torture, uh, which, you know, came in in the second half of the 20th century, and that seemed to nail things down. And that's great of, like, everyone could stand up and say, yes, this is what needs to uh, needs to change. Um, we then had uh, the after 
uh, George W. Bush, who who softened the rules. Fair enough, he always denied it was torture. It was called enhanced interrogation, was the phrase, but it was ter- it was torture. Absolutely, waterboarding has always been recognised as a you know one of the most dreadful forms of torture, and. Gradually, the revulsion at that was was pretty much worldwide, and it seemed to have consequences. At one brief moment of hope, it looked that Obama might actually be pursuing prosecutions um, on that, but bluntly, he kind of bottled it, I think it's fair to say. And perhaps we're living to see the consequences of that with um, with. Trump, who dares to, in his kind of grandiose way, uh, as you say, that torture absolutely works, is his, is his line, and he just kind of puffs himself up and says, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's great, let's do it. Which doesn't necessarily mean that the Americans are doing it, I have to say, but it clearly opens the door for those possibilities for others. And then in the British context, it's really interesting. So Britain, as we all know, is kind of eager to be in bed with the United States in the Bush era. We knew a bit about the complicity of Britain in the the U.S. rendition program, and more and more there were flat denials. I mean, I was kind of yelled at, and many others, uh, you know, working for, for uh, as human rights advocates at that time, for even daring to suggest what we couldn't quite prove, but kind of half knew. There were these secret prisons that the U.S. had in Poland, in Lithuania, and elsewhere where terrible things were happening. All of that came out very gradually, and there was no desire for for real accountability. Then we had glimmers of positive uh, stuff. There was an inquiry, which was then blocked. There was say, we need to do prosecutions. This is in Britain to do with people from the the uh, from the, the Blair, the Bush Blair era. And then there was very recently, earlier this year, came out uh, a report of the Intelligence Security Committee, chaired by Dominic Breve, uh, leading conservative, which was absolutely searing on the failures and the extent of that. And the British security service is basically being in bed with the torturers, you know, at, at, at so many, in so many different ways. And it was a very powerful report, actually a couple of reports about the kind of what had happened and what and, and, and where we go. And but the that report also said we haven't been able to interview some of the people we'd like to, and we've been blocked in these kind of ways, and no more needs to be done, basically. And we hear in poor, powerful people like uh, from all parties. I mean, for take one example, Kenneth Clark, the former justice minister, you know, leading conservative, um, has spoken out very, very strongly for the need for a judge-led inquiry. In other words, something that can really get to the bottom of these things, with the implication that genuinely the things won't happen again. Theresa May said she was going to come out, come back with an answer on whether they were doing the inquiry. Um, I mean, the I can't remember how long exactly when it was now, but basically the deadline, we've long since passed that deadline. Like we're now a month or more beyond that deadline. And she still hasn't announced. And what it seems to be is that she is torn between morally she must know what's the right thing to do, but MI6 and others are presumably, uh, MI5 or MI6 and others are presumably putting pressure, saying, look, you know, don't open up the can of worms. So that's the kind of thing, going back to the earlier, going back to the conversation that we had about um, protest and what it can achieve, that's the kind of thing where we really need voices to be heard saying we need to have this inquiry into what the British government actually did. And we're seeing that Theresa May is fighting a different government, of course. It wasn't her government. But the fact that she is still 
frightened of um, opening up that can of worms. I think it's just the kind of thing where pressure is, is really needed. And if you don't have that inquiry, you're kind of sending a signal in some way that he's not quite as bad as we think and let bygones be bygones. And that, I think, would be the worst possible outcome. Well, it's, it's like you sort of mentioned earlier, the kind of inaction means that you're implicit. You know, that, that's, 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 that's yeah. what you said. I mean, do, do you think, um, you know, if uh, if there was an inquiry and it, it came out, our, our involvement, you know, was quite uh, heavy, um, surely that will also have implications on what you were mentioning earlier, the UK's current treatment of, of um, survivors of torture and, and the way in which they're often sent back. To, to the countries that, where they're still threatened, you know, would that I guess that would have lasting implications on our kind of uh, on those policies as well. So the British government always claims to be, and always has claimed to be, completely against torture, and it hates it. And in certain narrow elements of that, it has genuinely played an important role in ensuring, you know, that the global fight against torture happens. So what you see is a kind of. Um, different faces at different times, you could say. I think you're quite right in saying that if you soften on one thing, then it implies a potential, um, you know, refusal to acknowledge the pain of torture, which can also have um, implications as well. I mean, I think what we're seeing above all with the torture survivors being sent back is the continued knock-on, the phrase is now discredited, but the hostile climate, which, of course, the British government boasted about, Theresa May, then as Home Secretary, boasted about when it was first introduced, we will have a really hostile climate. And that hostile climate has played out dramatically uh, for for torture survivors and others, but including for torture survivors in, in past years. It was really interesting, Sergei Javid, the new Home Secretary, that when he came in and was addressing the, the Windrush scandal, <clears throat> which in a different kind of way was all, you know, impacted by the, the hostile climate that we've seen, and basically, if you like, refusing to believe a person's own life story. That was really interesting. It was like, I tell you, this is where I came from and how I arrived when I arrived. No, 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 you haven't got the right paperwork, they say, and deport people uh, you know, back to the Caribbean or whatever. And in a different kind of way, we're seeing that with torture survivors. So Sajid Javid said, we must not let this happen to any other group of people. And Freedom from Torture and a large number of others, we, we wrote to the Home Secretary to say, well, excuse me, but this is happening to other groups of people already. It's absolutely happening to torture survivors and you know, other groups that we're with, with faith groups, LGBT groups, all of these together um, saying, actually, you're, you're doing this... I hesitate to use the word demonizing because they're not actually... In their minds, they're not doing the demonizing. What they are doing is refusing to believe the credible and documented stories of people's own lives. And they say, no, 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 it's not really like that. And then they will also refuse to accept the documented risk that is happening in the country where they're trying to send people back to. So I don't think, I mean, partly you're quite right, but the idea of a kind of even the softest tolerance for torture may somehow mean that you've got less sympathy with the torture survivor. But I think in parallel to that, because they would claim to have sympathy with the torture survivor, in parallel to that is more that the, the, the lingering impact of that hostile environment, which we really need to, we really need to end. Um, so a very important question. How can listeners help with Freedom From Torture's campaign? 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We need all the support we can possibly can. We survive. I mean, one of the reasons we can be strong is because we have an incredibly energized and, and vibrant community. Um, and there's, of course, the, you know, the, the plain crude stuff that the funds is what enables us to do the work of, of both rebuilding those lives and, and also the influencing um, work, but also the the voices of making change. So the the, um, the website, the organization is freedomfromtorture.org, and a number of the campaigns that we have there. So we are active on the theme of complicity against torture. One of the very big campaigns that we have is in connection with the vulnerability of detainees of you can't a torture survivor who's already suffered so much and has been so traumatized, including in custody, and then you re-lock them up and you re-traumatize the person who is uh, you know, seeking safety in this country and who believes that you can the right safety, and they end up being re-traumatized by being locked up. So we've had, um, you know, key people speaking out, Stephen Shaw, who is somebody who's, who's uh, written and made recommendations at the government request on the uh, conditions for uh, and for vulnerable detainees and, and what should be happening. He's been very critical, and uh, we at Freedom from Torture are highly critical of what's been happening. So there's a couple of campaigns on that, and our voice matters. You know, we're going in, we're talking to ministers, we're talking to officials, we're trying to make this happen, we're making noise in the media. But the bottom line is, actually, this is just the kind of case where where we have people speaking out um, and joining our campaigns and those kind of things, we know that we can make change. And as, as we, you and I discussed in the, in the conversation all about protests and where that goes, I have seen so many occasions in my life where protests and people said, it won't change anything, but actually, it really, really does change things. And that's true in the most brutal context. It's true at home with our, our democracy. So, yes, if people can go look at the website, see the different things that we can do, and support us, you know, both with, in, in whatever ways can be done uh, for making sure that torture survivors are enabled to get their own lives back. I think I would put it like that. You know, here the people who have done these terrible things to them have basically sought both to silence them and to remove their 
lives from them, basically. Um, and uh, you know, even if they, when even those who remain alive, that somehow they will, it's like their soul would have gone. And we can we can push back against that, but we do need governments to understand the humanity, the humanity, the imperative of allowing those people to rebuild their lives after terrible things they have been through. That's all been very fascinating. Thank you. And I just wanted to ask you one last question, which is a thing that I ask everybody um, that we have on this show uh, in a kind of effort to expand people's uh, resources and knowledge. Um, apart from yourself and your books and your writing, obviously, The Freedom from Torture uh, site and the information there, um, who else could you recommend that listeners follow or read or kind of look out for on um, both issues of effective protest and also on the issues of torture? Um, so, yeah, on protest i mean obviously there are lots of different things i i'm i'm intrigued by uh, a a serb activist who i've mentioned Sergei popovich um who wrote a book called the blueprint for revolution and that's if you like a frontline description of of things and that's also a, a description of um hope um uh, of of what hope can really um achieve um there's another, for me, interesting book, although it's slightly kind of sociological, but why civil resistance works is really interesting with bunches of statistics of, of, of where things go. Um, on torture, uh, a book that I mentioned, Ian Cobain, Cruel Britannia, I think is a real wake-up call for anybody who abhors torture, and I hope that's all of us. But it was, it's very, very shocking to to learn some of the details in that and really is it makes you think and i suppose the second one i might go for the um things and tortures is doing this work on democratic republic of congo a country which is close to my own heart and one of the books which i found one of the most powerful political books i've ever read really of understanding colonial legacies is a brilliant book um by um adam hochschild um which is called King Leopold's Ghost, and that describes the truly horrendous crimes committed by the um, colonial power, by Belgium, and then through into, in the 19th century, through into the 20th century, and how that colonial poison feeds through today, and that the torture committed uh, by uh, the, the colonial authorities, you can see how it feeds through um, a, a hundred, you know, a hundred years, more than a hundred years later, um, into the terrible torture that's happening in Congo today. So it's a powerful read. That may sound like a really dark read, which in a sense it is, but actually it's a kind of a gripping read uh, about uh, an extraordinary and fascinating place. So there you go. Uh, bonus, Steve. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm sorry it was a little bit clippy. Is that the word? Clicky? Clippy? A little bit fuzzy. Um, but that's because I am rubbish at doing this, which is why you listen. You love the hilarious rubbish. It's almost comedy. Comedy shitness, isn't it? Oh, fun. Um, there, there was bonus, Steve. I hope you found that very interesting. Freedom from Torture is on Twitter at Freedom from Torture. Um, it's also on the Facebook at Freedom from Torture. Um, you know, facebook.com forward You know how to use Facebook. You're not an idiot. Um, and their website is freedomfromtorture.org, uh, where you can find out all about their campaigns and news and also donate to them uh, if you're able to. Um, I've no idea if they're on any other chat. They might be on Snapchat, but I wouldn't have a clue. Why does anyone... 
I still don't understand why anyone would use that. Why would you want to pretend you had when you had dog ears and a little dog nose? That just make it harder to breathe, you idiot. Jesus. Um, anyway, uh, go follow all those things. As I said before, Steve is on Twitter at Steve Crawshaw. Um, so do follow him too and check out his Street Spirit book. And if you haven't listened to episode 113, then hey, what are you doing? Go back and listen to that. Um, and if you have, then um well done. Ten points to you. What am I... Oh, God, I'm really freestyling this shit, aren't I? This is awful. I should probably go now. This bonus one's gone on for way too long already, but um, here I am, still unable to end it. Um, anyway, you know, all the usual crap. Review the show, donate me... Give me all your money. Just give me all of it. That would be great. Uh, just all of it to the Patreon or the uh, Kofi accounts, which is ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro or patreon.com forward slash parpolbro. Um, check out the website, drop me an email, call your nan, all of those those important things and then this show will be back properly uh, on Tuesday as always because I really have nothing better to do um, thanks very much for listening okay bye hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 